Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. All right, take your Bibles and go with me to the book of John, John chapter number 17 this morning, the book of John and chapter 17. We're going to hang out in both services today here in John 17. We'll be there this morning, obviously, then once again this evening. Then after this, we're going to jump back into our regular uh, verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Mark on Sunday morning, and then uh, an end-time study on Sunday evening. So that'll be picking up next week. But for today, we're going to hang out in John chapter 17. So if you'll find your place there. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. And I would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. You're you're certainly going to need it. John chapter 17 this morning. If you found your place and if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 17. Look with me at verse number 9. John chapter 17, and then we're going to be in verse number 9. How many of you have have ever eavesdropped on a conversation happening around you? Let me see. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Come on, get it up. Get up. You're in church. Don't lie. Okay. These are all the people. You better be careful who you're talking around. See two people in the hallway. Look like they're having a serious conversation. You go walking by. Slow down a little bit. Pretend to tie your shoe. (laughs) Listening. What you are about to read in John 17 is a conversation between Jesus and God. It's a holy eavesdrop. It's what it is. It's the greatest prayer ever prayed by the greatest person. Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 9. We're going to go through the whole thing by the end of the day, but I just want to jump in in verse number 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified In them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. I am come to thee. Look look here, just look up real quick. Where's Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the throne of God. That's where Jesus is. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He ascended after he resurrected from the dead. He was put to death on the cross for your sin and for mine. That's what the Bible teaches. So Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus raises from the dead. And then Jesus ascends and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He's no longer here, but we are. Jesus lives by his spirit in our hearts. But Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God. So God's spirit is in our heart 
And God sits, at, and Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And Jesus and God are in a conversation, the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus ever maketh intercession for us. That means Jesus and God are always talking. And what are they talking about? Well, in John 17, you're getting a, you're getting a, a picture of it. So he says, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. That they may be one as we are. While I, was in the, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, and that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word. And the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jump down to verse 24. Father... I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world O righteous father the world hath not known thee but I have known thee and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. may be seated. Jesus is about to die, and before he goes to the cross and dies for us, he prays for his disciples. Specifically, he prays for those who believe on his name. That's what he says. Those who have known me and have believed on my name. Jesus is praying for those that he is defined in the preceding verses. In verse number three, he says, I'm praying for those because I have given to them, verse three, eternal life. How did you get eternal life? You got eternal life because you have known that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And Jesus says they came to know that they had eternal life because they believed on me. And having believed on me, they were brought into a right relationship with you. This is what Jesus said earlier. No man comes to the Father but by me. I'm the way, the only way. I'm the door, the only door. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father unless they've believed first on me. Jesus is reiterating this same idea he's already talked about. 
Jesus is saying, I am praying for those who have believed on me. I am praying for them who have eternal life, who know the true God and who have believed on those. This is who Jesus is praying for. Look at verse 9. This is where we started. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. We live in a time where because of the prevailing cultural influences, many people find this statement offensive. They find it disturbing. What do you mean Jesus doesn't pray for the world? Well, what it means is Jesus doesn't pray for the world. Jesus prays for them who have believed on his name. That's what he says. The emphasis of our day is that, well, everyone must be treated equally and fairly. You're free to believe whatever you want to believe because all religion leads you to God. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. All religion does not lead you to God. Only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ leads you to God. There's no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. And if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus is taken up residence in your heart by his spirit. He has given his word to guide you through this life. But that Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God and forever makes intercession for us. And what does Jesus want for us? What does Jesus pray for you? When Jesus prays for you, what is he praying? Well, in this text, he's praying three things. He prays for our protection. He prays for our sanctification. And he prays for our glorification. Look at first, he prays for our protection. Look at verse 11. And now I am no more in the world but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep them, or, or keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. He's, so he says, pray, pray for them. I'm asking you to protect them. I'm asking you to, to keep them. Look at verse 12. When I was here, I kept them. But now I'm there with you. So Father, I'm asking you to keep through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. The Apostle Paul helps us understand it this way. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places that you and I have an adversary. It's the devil, Peter says, who walks around seeking whom he may devour. That we not only have an enemy without, but we also have an enemy within. That the enemies that we face are the world, the flesh, and the devil, according to Paul. This band of followers of Jesus are constantly being threatened. And Jesus is praying that the Father would strengthen his followers. That the Father would strengthen followers of Jesus, believers, Christians. And that he would give them protection. 
And of course, God is going to keep them. That God is going to preserve them. That God is going to watch over them. You say, well, does God always keep those who have believed on him? And the answer is yes. All that are thine are mine. All that are mine are thine. And I've not lost one of them. He says, he even goes on, verse 12. While I was in the world, I kept them in, my, in thy name, whose those who thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. You say, well, didn't, wasn't Judas a follower of Jesus? And didn't Judas not end up belonging and being kept by Jesus? And of course the answer to that is yes, but Jesus calls Judas the son of perdition, which means he never really belonged to Jesus in the first place. Jesus, Judas was never a part of the company of those who had believed on Jesus. But Jesus says the Father here, he's praying to the Father here, and he's asking the Father to, to protect us, to keep us in this way. To protect us from what? Two things. Protect us from first, disunity. Look what he says at the end of verse 11. He says that they may be one as we are. So Jesus is praying that we would have unity as God's people. Jesus is praying that we would have a unity as a church. Jesus is praying that we would have unity as believers. That we need unity in our day. Not, not unity in some kind of mystical sense. In that we all just belong to Jesus. Not in that sense. But, but unity in a very practical sense. Unity in the sense that we have committed ourselves to the word of God and we have committed ourselves to the people of God as we fellowship around the word of God. That we're modeling this unity, that we're caring for one another, that we are praying for one another, that we are engaging one another. That we are supporting and loving one another. That we are demonstrating this support, this care, this fellowship, this love for one another by church attendance, by connection groups, by when someone goes through a difficulty, we call, we show up, we help, we come visit, we sit and talk, that we're there, that we're, we're, we're providing unity in this way, that we would be protected from disunity. But Jesus also says that we would be protected from the devil. Look at, look at verse 15. He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Oftentimes the prayer is, Lord, Lord, just take me home. I don't know how bad it can get. And Jesus' prayer is not, well, I just want to take you home, take you out of the world so nothing happens bad around you. No, no, no. But that he would keep us in it. That he would protect us through it. How, how is the devil going to destroy the church? Well, in the first centuries, he attempted to destroy the church with persecution. You had people being thrown to lions, set on fire. People suffering tremendous hardships. Being marginalized from their livelihoods, from their jobs. Being driven out of their cities. Being scattered, the New Testament authors say. This is what you can understand of believers in the first century. They were scattered. They were, they were on the run. They were under threat of persecution. Threat of their lives being ended, ended martyrdom. The whip on their backs. Their children being taken from them. The world, the world persecuted them. 
And then the world came along and decided that the persecution of the church wasn't the best way to go about it. But in fact, they embraced the church. And there were many people who said, oh, well, this is wonderful. At last, the church is popular. Christians are popular. But what you had in that is you had the evil one coming into the church with false doctrines, false teaching, leading, leading new believers, and sometimes not a believer at all, and leading them astray. This is, why the, this is why the apostles are always warning to the church. Be careful about who you are listening to. Be careful about what they are saying. If Paul says to the church, if me or another apostle comes and preaches to you a doctrine, a gospel that is different from the one that was first delivered unto you, throw them out. Why? Because there's this false teaching that even in the first century, the church hasn't even made it a generation. And even in the first century, false teaching had come into the church. It's no different in our day. There's a whole movement of people who think that you can simply have Jesus without ever having to forsake the world. That's a great deception in the church today. Well, we all just get along. We all just love the same God. We're all just going the same way. It's just enough if we have some kind of spirituality. I learned this as a very young kid. I'm sure you did as well. And here it is. Things that are different are not the same. How many of you learned that? Things that are different aren't the same. So if you're serving a different God, then that's not the same as the God of the Bible. And if you say that the way you get to that God is different than what the Bible says, then it's not the same. Things that are different are not the same. Jesus is praying for protection. He's praying for protection for his disciples, protection from disunity, protection from the devil. But he also prays for their sanctification. You say, okay, pastor, I, I definitely want to be protected from disunity. I, wa I want to be protected from the devil. I want to make sure that I'm living the way that God has called me to live. Well, this is where it comes in, verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So Jesus prays not only for our protection, but he also prays for our sanctification. Don't be, don't be afraid of the word sanctification. It simply means set apart. Moving in the direction of God. So when, when, when he says, I, I, I want you to be sanctified, he, he's saying, I want you to be my special people. I want you to be set apart from the world, and I want you to be set apart unto me. So apart from the world, but apart to God, to his purposes. And for what end? For the end of God's glory. And Jesus is saying, I want them who belong to me to be set apart for me, and then I will be honored and glorified in the reality that they have been set apart. Now, now we, need to, we need to specify something here. Sanctification is not holiness. Holiness is, not, is something that we should long for. It's something that we should strive for. But let me tell you this. Holiness is not something that God looks to us for because we have none of it. Holiness is something that God has in mind for us as we yield ourselves 
to him and as we walk in his spirit. So this is what God wants. God wants for us holiness. He has in mind for us holiness. But you and I, we have no holiness. So the process from where we are to what God has in mind for us, this process is called sanctification. That as we journey in the direction that God has for us, according to his word and by his spirit in our hearts, then we move, we progress in our sanctification in this way. The, the means, the, the tool, the way that God brings sanctification to his people is by his word. The way God sanctifies us is by his word. Look, look at the verse. Sanctify them through all kinds of rules for religion. Is that what it says? Yes or no? Is that what it says? Yes or no? No. If your Bible says that, you got the wrong one. No, it says sanctify them through being civil and nice neighbors and helping the poor. Is that what it says? Yes or no? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This is why when we get together, we get together around the word of God. Next chapter, next verse. Why? Because the way in which we get to where God wants us to go is through the word of God. That the word of God, listen church, the word of God is sufficient for the people of God. The word of God is sufficient for the people of God. That God uses his word in the lives of his people to make his people into the image that he desires for them to be made into. And that is also and still true in 2022. God's word is enough. Now, if you believe that, then we must do two things. We must first build our lives on the word of God. And second, we must build our lives around the word of God. So if we really believe that God's word is sufficient, then we will be building our lives on it and we will be building our lives around it. So building our lives on it, what does that mean? It means spending time in God's word, learning God's principles, learning God's commandments, learning the insights from it, and asking God to use his word to light the path that he has given us to take and to allow his word to be a lamp to our feet that guides us in the way that we should go. Do you believe that God's word is sufficient for you in this way? Do you believe God's word is sufficient to help you to know what job you ought to take? Do you believe God's word is sufficient to help you to know whether you should or shouldn't marry that guy? Do you believe God's word is sufficient for you to know whether you should or shouldn't practice in a particular way some kind of sexuality? Do you believe God's word is sufficient in that way? So we're building our lives on God's word. 
We're saying, no, 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 what I do with my free time, what I do with my entertainments, what I do with my, my, my choices, what I do with my living, how I love my wife, how I talk to my kids, how I approach my work, how I neighbor in my community, all of these things are shaped and based on the word of God. I'm building my life on the word of God. So the Bible's not just some abstract thing. Oh, yeah, I get the Bible out on Sunday because the preacher's going to use it. No, no, no. The Bible's not some abstract thing that we just think of out there, some just good book that offers to us good principles. No, the Bible is living. The Bible is the inspired word of God. And the Bible is just as relevant today as it has ever been. And one of the reasons why you have so much confusion and frustration in your marriage, in your life, at your job, with your wife, with your kids, is because you've taken a different approach to building your life. You aren't building your life on this. You're building your life on shifting sand. We build our lives on the word of God. Let me, be, let me just be very practical. How much of God's word are you putting in your life on Monday? How much of God's word are you putting in your life on Tuesday? How much of God's word are you bringing into your life on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday? I get it. You're here on Sunday. And yeah, you got the Bible. And yeah, we're looking at it. But this isn't enough. 45 minutes of the Bible one time a week is not enough. You've got to spend, you've got to spend quality time in the word of God. We must build our lives on the word of God. I'm asking you this morning to make the commitment to spend, to spend at least five minutes every day in God's word. Now, now some of you, you could do much more than that. I know that. Some of you, you could, you could give 45 minutes and you ought to. But some of us, we, we would do good just making this commitment I'm going to give the first five minutes of my day to the word of God. Before I do anything else. Before I do anything else. Before I go anywhere else. Before I, before I get dressed. Before I get in the car. I'm, before I do anything else, I'm going to spend the first five minutes of my day in God's word. What that means is some of you got to wake up five minutes earlier. Stop hitting that snooze button. And get out of bed and get in God's word. And allow your life to begin being built on the word of God. But not just built on, listen, built around. Not just built on God's word, built around God's word. How's your church attendance? How was your church attendance in 2021? Could, could, you be, could you be bothered to move the priorities of your life to say, hey, listen, we're going to be we're going to be a family that when the Bible is opened and the scriptures are taught, we are there. So, some of you are old enough to remember when there was a generation of parents who every time the church doors were open, you were at the church. How many of you are old enough to remember that generation? How many of you, your parents, they were that generation, they drug you to church every time they could, right? Why? They made a priority. The priority wasn't soccer. The priority was the scriptures. The priority was the scriptures. The church is gathering around the word 
And we are going to be there. Inevitably, it happens. I'll be somewhere, and someone will have heard about the great First Baptist Church of Long Beach. They'll say something like, hey, well, tell me about your church. I know what they mean. They want to know, what's the numerical statistics of the church? How... What's the strength of the church? Do you all still have all those language ministries that you used to have? They always ask these kind of questions. Can I tell you what the strength of the church is? Many people judge the strength of the church based on the attendance. That's not the strength of the church. Many people judge the strength of the church based on the offerings. That's not the strength of the church. Many people judge the strength of the church based on how many ministries the church has. That's not the strength of the church. The test of the church in terms of its strength is found in its desire, its hunger for the word of God. It's hungry for God's word. That when the church is opening the word of God, the people are there ready to hear it. Here's how we do this at our church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Now there are many churches, they've completely disbanded any thought of any evening service. And most of those thoughts began with the pastor. It hurts the pastor's ego when he has to preach to a small crowd on a Sunday night. But the indication of the strength of the church is the hunger for God's word from its people. One of the great indictments against the American church is seen in the darkness of church buildings after 2 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Empty lots. The same people who are singing, Oh Lord, plant your truth deep in my heart. Only mean it if it happens at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. They can't be bothered on a Sunday evening. Or a Sunday night. You say, Pastor, I, I, don't, I don't feel like maybe that's completely accurate. Well, let me just give you a history lesson just real quick. You read from history the church in Geneva in the 16th century. The Genevan church extended its reach. It grew. It grew like wildfire. And in its growth, they gave guidelines for the clergy. And the, the guidelines said like this. In part, every Sunday, there is to be a sermon break of the day at the usual hour. And then you will have a midday break and lunch. After that, the churches will meet at 3 o'clock for the second sermon. Besides the two sermons on Sunday, there will be on working days three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday where the church will meet for the sermon again. 
So if you want to understand the impact of the Reformation church, you can understand that they were meeting six times a week for the sermons. That's a people hungry for God's word. That's a people who said, we want God's word and we are willing to prioritize it in our lives. Standing at the start of 2022, and I'm asking you, not only will you prioritize God's word Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in your personal life, but I'm asking you if you will make the decision to prioritize God's word, that when God's word is opened, you will be there. You want to build your life? You want to, you want to move in sanctification? We must Realize the importance, the sufficiency of the word of God. Are you building your life on God's word? Are you building your life around God's word? Jesus prays for their protection. Jesus prays for their sanctification. But third and last, Jesus prays for their glorification. Look at verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me, notice this, be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it. That the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I am them. Jesus, Jesus says, I want them to be with me where I am. Isn't that a blessed thought? Jesus is praying for you to be with him where he is. Now, now think of this. Where is Jesus? And Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is in heaven. So this is helping us understand something about death for the believer. For the believer, death is just the door. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So to not be here is to be there. So death for the believer is comforting in this. There's comfort found in this. That it isn't quite as bad as we thought it was. Why? Because it's a fulfillment of Jesus' prayer. And what is Jesus' prayer? Jesus' prayer is that we would be where he is. And the only way to be in heaven right now is to die. But I will tell you this, there is coming a day, and I believe very soon, where Jesus will return. That Jesus, my friend, is coming back. I think soon. The apostles thought they were living in the last days. If they were in the last days, we got a few seconds. I think Jesus is coming soon. And he comes to do what? The Bible says he comes to rapture those away who have believed on him. That we might be with him 
in the place that he has been preparing for us. John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Listen to the promise. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And Thomas asked him the question, didn't he? How can we get to where you are? We don't even know where you're going. We don't even have GPS. And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Believe on me and you will have eternal life. I'm asking you, not if you know about Jesus, but have you believed on Jesus? I'm not asking you if you know about church. I'm asking you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Has there been a time in your life where you've turned away from your sin? You've turned away from your self-righteousness. You've turned away from your rebellion against God, but you've also turned away from your attempt to make yourself look right in the eyes of God. And you said, my righteousness, it's as filthy rags. And my sin has brought with it a penalty and a payment of death. And I cannot come to God in any other way except through believing in what Jesus did when he was born of the virgin, when he lived a perfect sinless life, when he died an atoning death on the cross, and then when he raised gloriously from the dead. And he did that for me. I'm asking you this morning, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Do you know that you have a right relationship with God? If you were to die today, would you be with him? According to the Bible. Would you be with him? Jesus' prayer is a prayer of glorification. It's a prayer for our sanctification. And it's a prayer for our protection. What an unbelievable prayer John 17 is. There's so many amazing truths in this passage. But you and I, you and I must decide right now whether we will claim those truths for ourselves. Will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you allow the word of God and the spirit of God to grow you in your sanctification, make you more like Jesus? And will you be on guard from the world, the flesh, and the devil, which seeks to destroy you, pull you away from your faith, and cause you to believe in some other Jesus other than the one 
in this book.